Well, as Aaron comes forward uh, to give us the word of God, let me pray for him this morning. Father, thank you for the opportunity that we have to gather to hear from your word. And I do lift up my brother Aaron to you. I pray, Lord, that the spirit would move through him. God, that the study that he's put in would prove fruitful, not from anything of himself, but God, that you would give us the gift of illumination, that you would open our eyes to see your word, open our hearts to perceive ways that we need to change, Lord. What do we need to believe? What do we need to do? What do we need to stop doing, Lord? I pray that you would move through him. And so, God, give us ears to hear now, and we pray that you would bless the preaching of your word. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I want to read a sentence for you, and I want you to let this sink in for a minute. Adoption is more spiritual warfare than it is charity. So adoption is more spiritual warfare than it is charity. And I hope to show you that this morning, and I'm going to do it from Ephesians 1. So you're welcome to turn there. And while you're turning there, let me also say, today is the 49th anniversary of the Roe versus Wade decision, and it is Sanctity of Life Sunday. So we'll pause on Acts, and we'll look at life. And we'll look at life specifically by means of adoption. But as we talk about life and the Christian perspective on life, we start with God made male and female in his image. And for some of us, we take that for granted. But for the world today, being made in the likeness of God, male and female, unique, right now is not a truth. But as Christians, we know that every person bears the image of God. And so black lives matter, white lives matter, blue lives matter, really all lives matter. That there's a preciousness to life. And as Christians, we should be on the forefront of this battle for life. And so there's many directions I could have gone this morning, but I'm going to go through adoption because, strangely enough, ironically, last year at this time, we were actually in Kenya this morning. And for those of you that don't know me, I'm Aaron. I'm one of the elders here. But we just completed an adoption of a five-year-old who's now six and... What's funny is the timing of this message, you know, the best parents are parents that don't have kids, right? Right? Have you ever had, I mean, if you don't have kids right now, you're an expert in parenting, right? Or if you've never been married, you're still an expert in parenting. The parents that actually have kids realize this is incredibly difficult, super challenging. So at the risk of this being one year from the adoption, I just want to lay out a disclaimer. This is not me saying, hey, I have the adoption thing figured out, right? I do not have the adoption thing figured out. In fact, this is kind of like the, the other parent who has just one kid. It was a phenomenal kid, and they think, I have this parenting thing figured out. And then they have a second kid, and they're like, I guess I don't have this parenting <laughs> thing figured out after all. So we're going to look in Ephesians. I'm going to talk to you more about the theology and the doctrine of adoption that I am the practicality of adoption. Because I think if we get the theology correct, if we get the doctrine correct, then the practical application of that flows. But full disclosure, we have adopted. He is six years old. You know, what's interesting about adopting a child, and we've had three other boys, black or white, boys are boys. They really are. And we've seen that over the last year. 
but it's also given us a unique perspective of how God the Father views us as adopted children. And so this morning, I have to confess, I was never pro-adoption. It wasn't something, I didn't get saved until I was 21, so this is not something where it was like, hey, my, my heart was always bent towards adoption. Now, my wife was a little bit different. She was a little bit more quick to come to that conclusion, but I came to that conclusion looking out at a scene in our house at the time we were between houses, we had an 1,100 square foot ranch house, and we had just had our fifth child in six years. So we had five little kids in a six-year time frame, and I can remember her sitting there with little Lila on her lap. Lila's super precious. And we gazed out into the living room where it was the only carpeted place of the house. And if you've ever seen National Geographic with the little lion cubs, you know I'm talking about where they're biting each other's ears they're rolling over each other. They're nipping at each other. And I looked into that room and I told her, I was like, honey, in five more years we could see twice the number of bodies in there. That, and I'm not sure we're necessarily ready for that. So we started to talk seriously about adoption because we knew we wanted to have more children. Now, why adopt? There's 150 million orphans worldwide. 10,000 orphans every day. Every day there are 10,000 kids who are orphaned. There are 400,000 kids in the foster system right now. You know, Francis Chan had said it. There's about 400,000 churches in the U.S. If one family from every single church would take in a foster child, we would remove the foster system. We could eradicate the foster system by one family in every church taking on that war. Why do it? Fatherless homes. I'm just going to hit you with a couple of these things because I think it's powerful. If you come from a fatherless home, five times as likely to commit suicide. 80% of rapists are from fatherless homes. 71% of dropouts are from fatherless homes. 75% of kids in drug abuse, fatherless homes. 71% of teenagers lack a father. Pregnant teenagers. 85% of children with behavior disorder, fatherless homes. And 85% of the youth that's in prison right now are from fatherless homes. Do you think this is a battle that God wants us to engage in? And for me as a Christian and for you as a Christian, we think, well, what can we do about it? Because it seems like I'm taking a medicine dropper from the ocean, right? Those are such big numbers. What can I do? What, how can I do that? And I will tell you, not all of us are called to be on the front lines of adoption or the foster system, but all of us are called to care about adoption and life and the foster system. Why? Because God cares about it. Hosea 14.3, in you the orphan finds mercy. Deuteronomy 10.18 and 19, he executes justice for the fatherless and the widow. Psalm 82.3, give justice to the weak and the fatherless. Psalm 146.9, the Lord watches over the sojourners. He upholds the widow and the fatherless. Psalm 68.5, father of the fatherless and protector of widows is God in his holy habitation. Psalm 10.14, but you, God, see the trouble of the afflicted. You consider their grief and take it in hand. The victims commit themselves to you. You are the helper of the fatherless. Matthew 25.40, as you did to the least of these, you did to me. James 1.27, religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction. None of us are exempt from caring about the fatherless and the widowed, the least of these. 
So you may not be on the front lines, but you are called to care about this. And if you think about it, in two points this morning, adoption is the gospel and adoption is mission. So when I say adoption is the gospel, think about adoption for a second. It, like the gospel, it's tragic and beautiful at exactly the same time, right? It's the result of sin in a broken world, death, poverty, abandonment, rape, and yet God takes those broken things and he brings beauty and goodness in life. It's just like the cross of Christ. It's tragic and it's beautiful and glorious at the same time. And that's what I want to show you this morning. So Ephesians 1, 3 through 14, let me just set a disclaimer even as we start this. Heavy on theology. So if you know Ephesians, you know that the first three chapters of Ephesians are theology and the next three chapters are more practical application. Likewise, 3 through 14, if you look from a high level, you're going to see the doctrine of election through the Father. You're going to see redemption and adoption through the Son. And you're going to see inheritance and eternal security through the Holy Spirit. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, election, redemption and adoption, and inheritance and eternal security. Pretty easy stuff, right? Election. Eternal security, those are not very, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to hold up a pearl, the pearl of adoption. But this is a treasure chest of theology. I'm just going to hold up one pearl and I'm going to turn it a little bit so we can see it. So join me in reading Ephesians 1 and pray with me. Lord, I confess that there's not words that could adequately convey the truths that we see here in this chapter and in this verse. But God, I ask that you would use the words from my mouth in a mighty way this morning, that we would sense your presence powerfully, that we would be blown away that we are adopted sons and daughters because of the sacrifice of Christ. Lord, may that truth resonate with us in such a powerful way that it would spur us to action. And Lord, today as we think of the millions of unborn that have been murdered in this country and the millions that are, thousands that are in the foster system and those that are fatherless, Lord, would you help us as Christians to fight this battle for you so that you, Lord, would get all the praise and all the glory. Amen. Ephesians 1, 3 through 14, I'd love to break this up. The trouble is in the, in the original Greek, it's actually one sentence. So we're going to zoom in on verses 6 and 7, but I have to read you the entire thing because I, I just can't chop it up. It's just too good. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the beloved. In him, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will, according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ, 
as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. In him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who are the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. Amen. Amen. Why? Paul says it three times. Three times, if you notice. In verse 6, in verse 12, and in verse 14, I think it's important that we start there. Why did God do this? To the praise of his glorious grace. 6, 12, to the praise of of his glory. 14, to the praise of his glory. God didn't adopt you as a son and daughter for you. He did it for his glory. I did not adopt a child for the praise of my name, but for the praise of his glory. To the praise of the glory of God. That is where it starts and that's where it ends. But I want to zoom in a little bit on this 5 and 6. In love, he predestined us for adoption through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace. So what do we see there? First of all, you have to recognize that you were not born into the family of God. You know, I've, I've asked people before, it's rare, but it does happen. How long have you been a Christian? My whole life. I was born into a Christian home. Doesn't make you a Christian. Doesn't make you a Christian. In fact, the Bible has something very different to say for you. For those that have not put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ, who have not been adopted into the family of God, they're actually, John 8 says, you're a child of the devil. Ephesians 2 says you're a child of wrath. Galatians 4 says you're a child of the world. So unless you've been adopted into the family of God, your position apart from Christ is that you are a child of the devil. And what makes this passage so glorious is the fact that you didn't act. God acted on you. So we love pronouns right now in this country. It's kind of the new thing, right? Pronouns. I love pronouns. They're fantastic. Let me give you some good pronouns here. He, him, his. He blessed us. He chose us. He predestined us for adoption. It was his will, his glorious grace. He redeemed his blood, his grace. He lavished upon us his will, his purpose, his will, his glory. He sealed us his glory. You like he, him, his? I love he, him, his. They're right here. It's all that he did for us. He, him, his. Now, how about you? How about we, us, are? We, us, are. Blessed us. Chose us. Predestined us. Adopted us. Blessed us. Redeemed us. Forgave us. Lavished upon us. Made known to us. We obtained an inheritance. We were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. Do you see what happened? Do you see what God did? And why did he do it? It says, in love. In love. God did this in love 
to the praise of his glory. You might this morning be thinking, I just don't feel the love of God. I don't, I don't feel like God loves me. I feel like God has forgotten me. I'm going through a really difficult time right now. I read what you're saying here. I see it on the page, but I don't experience God's love. And you know, sometimes it's just like a child who tells the parent, I just I don't feel like you really care about me. And as the parent, you're like, I care so much for you, I want what's absolutely best for you. And we can find ourselves as adopted sons and daughters questioning the father and his love for us. And we have to anchor back to the truth that says in love, he predestined us for adoption. That God didn't do this out of some reluctant compulsion. He did this. He acted upon us because he loves us. The Bible says that he crushed his son so that you could become a son. If you stop and think about that theologically, it'll blow your mind. The only way that you're a son is because God himself crushed his own son. His only son. That is how you got sonship. That's it. Apart from the shed blood of Christ, there is no forgiveness of sin. And the Bible's very clear about that. How about this? His glory. So back to the text. Verse 3 says, in Christ. Verse 4, in him. Verse 5, through Christ. Verse 6, in the beloved. Verse 7, in him. Verse 9, in Christ. Verse 10, in him. Verse 11, in him. Verse 12, in Christ. Verse 13, in him. You see a pattern? It's in Christ. In love, he predestined us for adoption through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glory. Those are amazing theological truths. Amazing theological truths. And if we grasp those and the depth of that, it's life-changing. It is absolutely life-changing. Because here's the thing. Guilt is not a sustainable motivator. Guilt is not a sustainable motivator. I will not cause you to feel guilt for apathy towards the fatherless and the widow that would compel you to lasting action. Nor is that God's way of compelling you to action. The way in which you will be compelled to action is through the transforming power of the Holy Spirit. Once you grasp the beauty of the fact that you went from death to life, that God adopted you into the family. And here's the other thing that should blow your mind. Not only are you declared righteous because of the righteousness of Christ, which would be a glorious truth if we were justified and then left, but God not only does that, he brings you into the family and gives you an inheritance that's equal that you didn't deserve and you didn't do anything to get. Wow. When we adopted Reggie into our family, he became a son of the Shoals and a son of the Most High God by God's grace. Because there's one guarantee that we have through adoption. We can't save him any more than I could save a biological child. But he will hear the gospel. 
he will hear the gospel. What they need, what the fatherless need, is the gospel. Adoption is gospel. Galatians puts it this way, and this will just reinforce the truth. In the same way we also, when we were children, were enslaved to the elementary principles of the world. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. God's timing is perfect. When I was 21 and God adopted me into his family, that was perfect timing. What you're going through right now is God's perfect timing according to his will for his glory, as difficult as it may seem. Romans puts it this way, for all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God, and if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. Now let me be very clear. The family business is suffering. As a Christian, right? We're king's kids. You've heard this. I'm a child of the king. So I deserve everything, all the material possessions of the king. We are, in fact, children of the king. But theologically, the Bible says we're, the family business is suffering. It's not satisfying your economic status. We didn't adopt Reggie to bring him into better circumstances. Right? And that's why I started and I said... Adoption is more spiritual warfare than it is charity. We didn't adopt Reggie thinking, oh, we're going to give him such a better life. He never would have played the Xbox over in Burundi. Oh, how tragic. I will tell you in the last year, he was more contented with the smallest things because he didn't have perspective on the bigger things. He didn't gaze out and see what he didn't have. He was thankful for what he did have. He had bottle caps. When we got him, his pockets were lined with bottle caps. That was his toy. They would drink little Fantas, glass bottles, Coke bottles, and then he would keep the little bottle caps in his pocket. And when we got him, we left the shelter with nothing but the clothes on his back. And he didn't speak English. Today, he speaks English. Just this week, he actually, when we got him, didn't know how to swim. In fact, he would layer up. He would put floaties on, life jacket, and then any other flotation device he could get. (laughs) Seriously. We're like, you're not going to go down. I'm right here. And it was so picturesque of us as Christians. We put on the floaties and our life jacket, and then we have some other flotation device, and we're like, well, maybe, God, I, maybe, maybe. And as the father, he's like, I have you. I'm right here. Jump into the water. The water is this deep. You're not going to sink, I promise you. And he was like a teabag. It's like teabagging him. He finally stretched out his legs. and He's like, oh, I can, I can 
We laugh, but that's us. That is us. Now, last week, he was jumping off the high dive at Northridge for the swim night. All kidding aside, high dive, diving board, jumping off of that, no flotation devices. What's that called? Discipleship. Henry, my other son, took him under his wing for a year. Now he's nuts. Now he's completely nuts. I joke, but isn't that true? Isn't that us? We have to come alongside a brother and a sister, and we shouldn't look at the newly adopted son or daughter thinking that they should be the 50-year son or daughter. We have to walk alongside people and know, hey, you don't need those floaties. You don't need them. Mm -mm. They're not necessary. God will take care of you. You don't need it. And as they go from one degree to the next, you look back and you think, wow, how far I've come. How far I've come. Because God wants to take you from one degree of glory to the next. He didn't save you as a son and daughter just so you could rest in that truth. And that's the second point. We should be on mission. We should be on mission. One of the verses that really triggered me as I prayed. And I read a book by Russell Moore called Adopted for Life. By the way, if you're ever contemplating something, do not read and pray. If you're ever contemplating something and you're like, I don't know if I should do it. Don't let a friend give you a book. You're going to do it. It's just going to happen, right? You just you start praying about it. God wants to conform your will to his. So as you pray about it, God's going to move in those ways. He wants us on mission. But one verse that has really stuck out with me is James 1.27. We know it. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction. Now, it doesn't say take in, notice. It doesn't say take in a widow, take in an orphan. Right? This is not a call for me to say, hey, look at what we're doing and you absolutely should be doing this. I think I made that clear from the beginning. But all of us should be involved in caring for the vulnerable, the fatherless, the widowed. Because we are in a war, and in wars, what do you get? You get resistance. You have resistance, right? We live in the culture of death right now. Do we not? I saw a news that it, I just can't get this image out of my mind, but two weeks ago there was a girl, 18-year-old girl from New Mexico who the security cameras show that she was behind a warehouse. She had pulled her car up behind this warehouse. There was a big dumpster, and she gets out of the back, and she throws a bag in there, and then she drives off. And time-lapse camera shows a group of people come afterwards, and they're value seekers. They look for, they're basically dumpster divers, which dumpster divers exist apparently, but they heard muffled crying. They heard muffled cries, so they grab this bag, and inside they find a brand new baby. She had literally gone from the hospital, had just been released, and drove behind a warehouse and threw her baby into a dumpster. Now, lest you think that you're not capable of doing something like that, apart from the saving power of God, you are. Apart from Christ, we are depraved to the core. 
So we, we need to look on that with compassion, not with judgment. We need to look on moms that have committed abortion, and we need to walk alongside of them. There is no condemnation for those that are in Jesus Christ. That is a powerful truth. But it's not enough to just be pro-life. We have to be willing to take these kids in. Bethany Christian Agency in the last 18 months have opened up adoptions to same-sex couples. That's a Christian adoption agency. If we are not fighting this fight, we're losing this fight. If we are not willing to sacrifice, we will lose. This is going to be a little bit more challenging. There's a great cost and sacrifice to adoption. It costs God his son. What does it cost us to adopt? I can't tell you how many times we have heard over the last several years about somebody's brother-in-law's sister's best friend's cousin who had some experience adopting and it went totally sideways. Or your college friends, moms, brothers, sister, they had a real tough time fostering children. L let me just tell you that you will experience resistance. You are going to experience resistance, and it will come with a great cost. Not just a financial cost, there's an emotional cost. What about the, well, I have five other kids, is this the wisest thing to do? How's this going to impact their lives? Or I'm, I'm old. Not me, but you. <laughs> I'm old. I can't adopt. What are you, nuts? How about even bring it a little bit closer to home? Maybe you're a dad and you still have a fatherless home because you're not present. Maybe you're physically present, but you're not actually spiritually present. Maybe you're a mom <clears throat> who is pro-life in what they say and pro-choice in how they act. <sighs> Exasperated, right, just despondent, like, oh, my kids are just, it's a burden, it's a burden, it's a burden. We're not saying that, but we're living that. Now, don't mistake me. I don't mean you go through challenging times. But if you have a pervasive attitude of, oh, my goodness, I, I used to have a life, but now I don't because I have children, that's, that's not the spirit of God. And if you're a dad who's involved in hobbies and things like that that are totally taking you away from your family, yes, you are not technically a fatherless home, but you need to be a dad in your home first. It's hard work. What about... America that we live in. I just want to work for 35 years and then just kind of shut my life down. I deserve it. I need a break. I need to get a rest. If I have two kids. I'm going to have a nice suburban house, nice suburban vehicles. I'll work for 35 years and then I'll 
It's good. It's, it's good. I, I did my part. When we were over in Africa, it was funny because, if you know my wife Jessica, she doesn't get anxiety very often, probably because I get it for both of us. <laughs> and she turned to me um, and she said, I, I just, my stomach is really upset and I just don't feel that good. We're like, well, we, we are eating kind of some weird stuff. I mean, it might be, she's like, no, 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 this is like a different feeling. I've never experienced this before in my life. I'm like, are you referencing anxiety? I, I, I don't know. I think so, though. I'm like, you, you've never had anxiety. No, I've never felt like this before. This is the first time I've ever felt like this. We had to take COVID tests just about everywhere you went. You were throwing Benjamin Franklin's to any person that would swab your nose. To me, that was a cost, not just financially, but that was a nuisance. We flew for 18 hours, but it was great joy. Right in the midst of that, in walking through that, was there not anything else greater at that time? And why I started to the praise of God's glory. To the praise of his glory. That's why you do it. That's why you incur the cost. That's why God incurred the cost. To the praise of his glory. That's incredible. He did it for him. For his glory. That's why you are a son. That's why you are a daughter. You have right standing with Christ. But more than that, you have an inheritance. That inheritance, the Bible says, is secure. It's imperishable. That if you are sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, you cannot lose your salvation. Once you are sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, you've been chosen by God. You've been adopted into the family. Reggie couldn't anymore not become my son at this point. Just like we can't anymore jump out of the Father's hand. And he did it because of the supernatural love of God, which we cannot even fathom the riches of. That is the depth that he would crush his son so that you could be a son. And if you are not compelled by that, then there's no greater theological truth that you'd be compelled by. Adoption is mission, and adoption is gospel. I want to share a video, and normally we don't share videos in church, but I think this is just so good because it encapsulates... Adoption, And it's by Vadi Bakum. And if you know Vadi, he's a pastor. And I'll just let the video speak for itself, but why don't we play that? ...journey began early on in our marriage. We, we got married. The summer between my sophomore and junior year in college. And uh, our first child was born 10 months later. Which people thought we were crazy. Our second child wasn't born until um, a couple years later. And uh, after that, we had a girl and a boy. And we heard it over and over and over again. You know, you had the perfect little family. And there was so much pressure on us to just stop there. But then a few years later, we wanted more children and um, had done some things to prevent us from having children and we went back and found out that
with those things could not be reversed. So um, we began to, at that point, think about adoption. So here we are with our 11-year-old and our 14-year-old, and we walked into this agency and we said, hey, we're interested in adopting. Um, and I, I think we said that we're interested in adopting several children, and the lady just went and got her supervisor. We, we didn't, you know, know what was going on. She said, tell her what you just told me. And we just, you know, if you're interested in adopting maybe a, a few children, then we, we don't. Um, we didn't know at the time that adoption agencies in this country um, have a hard time finding black families who, um, who will adopt. It was like an answer to prayer for them. We started our paperwork in May and we were matched in July. It was almost scary because we were just, you know, sort of getting used to the idea. Mm -hmm. By the end of July, there was another baby in our home. Yeah, that was our first of seven adoptions and everything changed. We never went through that process again. The second adoption was with the same agency. The adoptions three through seven, we just got phone calls seven times the Lord said yes it's been incredible yeah. for us we we love every minute of it um, we laugh a lot yeah there's there's a lot of work to be done um, but everybody pitches in and, and it's great for me adoption has helped me both as an, an individual Christian and as a pastor until you know I became a father to adopted children and was able to look at my children and know these are as much my children as those children who are related to me biologically. Until that moment, I wasn't able to fully just understand and grasp what it means to be a child of God because we are his children by adoption. When you understand adoption, He's not going anywhere. Adoption is about the gospel. For me, adoption is important because it's just a beautiful picture of God's grace in my life. I was really the forerunner in doing something to prevent us having more children biologically. I was in sin. I was wrong. Um, I wanted to be in control, and I didn't allow God to be in control. God is so faithful to give us back what the locusts have eaten. I just get a chance to love on some kids who are actually my kids and raise them. It's just been a blessing. I did not think that I would be almost 50 years old with seven kids, seven little kids. But I tell you, I wouldn't trade this for anything. When we started this journey, um, we, we were on the downhill side of parenting. Yeah. You know, we had two kids, they were 14 and 11. We were just a few years away from an empty nest, and now we're, we're, you know, almost 50, and, you know, we're looking at 10, 8, 6, 5, 4, 3, and almost, almost 2. two. <laughs> um, you know, so, no, we're, we're, we're not doing the empty nest thing. What else are we going to do? What else are we going to do in our lives that would be more important than what we're doing right now in our lives? I can't think of anything.
tremendously difficult to follow Vadi. What else are you going to do? What else are you going to do with your life? I'm reminded of an exchange in the Chronicles of Narnia where, remember they're talking about Aslan, and, and Susan asks the beaver, she says, is he safe? And the beaver replies, safe? Who said anything about safe? Of course he isn't safe, but he's good. He's the king, I tell you. Is adoption safe? Of course not. Of course not. But it's good. It's real good. Let's pray. God, may the power of your Holy Spirit come upon us now in a mighty and powerful way that we would take the words from this passage of Scripture, Lord, and that those words would not just sit in our hearts. They wouldn't just sit in our ears and our heads and our minds, but that we would contemplate just how good and glorious you are. And we would give you all the praise that you have redeemed us and adopted us and saved us as your children. But God, that that would compel us in a powerful way to fight this war for the fatherless. God, how we do that, I trust to your spirit and trust that to you and each person in this room and for those that have never become a son or a daughter, Lord, may today be the day that they would have the joy of your salvation, that their eyes would be open to this precious truth, acknowledging their sin and knowing that they are far off, that they are not a child of God, and Lord, in your grace and mercy that you would gather them to yourself as a son and daughter. May you work powerfully in us and through us this week. Amen.